politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here. My voice might be a little bit messed up today, but our minds are sharp. Our resolve is firm. This is your really your only stop, one-stop shop for independent conservative talk. And the reason why we need independence is because you tell me where else we can go. Last night, Republicans joined with every single Democrat in voting to give another $40 billion to Ukraine. It's like the, the degree of emergencies we have had in this country, the, 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 the need for Republicans to immediately convene and vote within a day on numerous things re- really came up every, every other week with COVID. And yet nothing prompted them to take any action to address our needs. But the minute Ukraine comes a call in, they say how much the sky is the limit. Only 57 Republicans voted no. Okay, that's a little bit more than a quarter of the GOP conference in the House. Today they'll probably vote in the Senate. I doubt we get more than five to seven votes against it. That is what we're up against. In the last two months, Joe Biden has already spent more money on Ukraine than in the entire first two years of Afghanistan. Think about that. This is utterly insane. And even a lot of the 57, they even those guys, a lot of them only woke up now like, whoa, okay, this is kind of crazy. But they joined in. From day one, I remember a lot of their social media accounts. We really only had like 10, 15 that got it from day one. How many more times are we going to go through this? So I want to talk about, you know, Mitch McConnell's statement. We We all agree the most important thing going on in the world right now is the war in Ukraine. And what really is the most important thing going on in the world? And that's medical freedom or the fight for medical freedom, biomedical tyranny is the most important thing going on in the world. We're going to have Dr. Lynn Finn from the Global COVID Summit on to update us on all things COVID, kind of going through some of the big developments that we've missed in recent weeks with other issues. But first, our sponsor today, Better Spectacles. Republicans might not give you a proper 2020 vision on what's right for this country, but at least Better Spectacles from our friends um, at Rodenstock Company. So Better Spectacles, they bring in the German Rodenstock authentic eyewear for the first time in the U.S. And I'm telling you, they will give you 2020 vision. Their scientists use biometric research to measure up to 7,000 points in your eye. And they take these findings and they've patented their biometric intelligence glasses. That's big. They give you seamlessly natural experience that works perfectly with your brain and your sharp vision. A lot of people are like, Daniel, how are you on the ball every day? Well, I got my better spectacles from Rodenstock. You should as well. Go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment today. You don't even have to leave your home. Don't settle with your eyewear. Go big with biometrical intelligence glasses from Better Spectacles. 
If you go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative, they're offering an introductory 61% off the Progressive Eyewear Plus free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. Again, that's betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So folks, I want to frame this issue for you before we move on to the real most important issue of our time. <laughs> but in terms of the fake important issue, but it is important in many ways for what not to do. You will never get a Republican Party that is more righteous than it is now, right? They're in the minority. There's a very unpopular Democrat president. Remember, it's always easier for Republicans to vote no against bad ideas from the Democrats than affirmatively propose the right policies and message them properly. Okay, we all know that from years of experience. Yet still, Joe Biden's $40 billion bill, giving them everything. By the way, making it easier to resettle them here. So again, we fight for them there. We bring them here, just like we've always been doing. That should have been a no-brainer. And yet, even in the more conservative GOP con conference, that's the House, the Senate's 10 times worse, we could only get a quarter in opposition. What does that tell you? For when Repub what is that portend for when Republicans take over Congress next year? The World Economic Forum, the Masters of the Universe, induce the next transformational issue. What does that tell you about Republicans when they're actually holding the ball? Do you think for one minute they will change? No, they haven't. No, they haven't. And they're not changing anywhere. Could you imagine that? We all agree the most important thing is Ukraine. We have people dying from these clot shots. We have, they are forcing them on kids now. Service members in the military getting kicked out. And they couldn't care less. We have constant variants coming. Where are they coming from? Either it's the shot inducing it or they're being released. They still don't care to even watch and investigate and connect the dots as to where this stuff came from. Oh, and they're actually funding those activities in Ukraine. The Republican Party has not changed. You know, yesterday we talked about South Dakota and how Governor Kristi Noem is going after the few conservatives that they even have there. So when I put out my article yesterday, she tweeted out, this is a lie, the media is lying about me. Here's the problem. There is a video, I, I put it on my Twitter account, from Lee Schoenbeck. He is the Senate pro temp, the rhino that is in charge of going after the conservatives. He said blatantly, and the governor is helping me in this endeavor. So either he's lying, which I doubt is the case, or she's lying. See, this is what they do. They're scared of a frontal assault. So then when we say, oh, you're attacking us, oh, no, 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 we're not. This is why we can never come to a resolution. Do you know how easy it would be for conservative media to change the arc of this party? But they won't do it because they're corrupted too. Because I'm telling you, the few times you see from the primary so far, the few times that the stars do indeed align were successful, very few, where you get Trump to endorse the right guy, the movement rallies around them, the conservative media is around them, 
we usually do win. And then we saw that in Ohio. Now, what's interesting is in Pennsylvania next week, there's a rebellion against Trump's horrendous endorsement. We'll see what's with Kathy. I'm not 100% sold on her, but clearly she's better than the two previous front runners. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Um, You know, last night you had a primary in Nebraska, just south of South Dakota. And this establishment dude won for governor. So we're going backwards in, in, in Nebraska. To date, we have not elected a single guy even running to be like Ron DeSantis after everything that we've been through. Now, we do have Arizona coming up, which might be the first success. We'll see. We'll see what happens here. But it's, it's slim pickings, folks. Anyone who tells you that the party has changed... They are lying to you. And I think it's important to note, there's there's this uh, poll that was circulating on the internet this week. I believe it's a Gallup poll. And it shows, it, it's a poll of Democrat voters, exclusively Democrat voters, their evolution over 20 years. And it shows now that basically like twice as many self-identify as liberals. Believe it or not, only 34% of white Democrats identified as liberals in 2001. We're not talking about 1970 years. 2001, 34%. Now it's 54%. Okay? Most of the growth, actually, all groups expanded. Most of them were among white Democrats. College-educated, huge, obviously. But here's the interesting thing. They did it by age group. So obviously the younger you get, the more liberal you get. But here is what's so scary. Among senior Democrats, being 65 and above, it used to be only 25% of Democrats in that age group identified as liberal. Now it's 43. In other words, more 65-plus Dems identify as liberal today than 18 to 29-year-old Dems 20 years ago. Think about that. <clears throat> Think about that for a moment. All the Republican Party has succeeded over the years is moving the Overton window over and over again. And by the way, what this poll suggests is that unlike before, where very few people were like these college professor crazies, you do have a significant amount of the country that's gone. And that's why this is another reason why we need national divorce. So you, you show me where Republicans have changed. Because I certainly have not seen that. Now, folks, one way we're trying to change and educate people is signing people up to be a constitution coach at Patriot Academy. If you go to patriotacademy.com, you could find out all the information. How to become a constitution coach. What does that mean? They'll hook you up with other people to start a constitution class in your home. You, you don't have to know anything yourself. You download the materials from Rick Green, historian David Barton, and others, and you start learning about the Constitution, organizing those local cells and fighting back. Uh, they've signed up thousands of people for this. They're, they also do put on the handgun course, constitutional defense handgun course. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of you out there on May 22nd coming up in New Mexico. 
Um, hopefully, if those of you couldn't make it for our May 22nd trip, we should have other dates coming up later, so stay tuned. But anyway, check it out at patriotacademy.com. And folks, I really do think, by the way, keeping it local is the key. This is where we're going to have to make our stand. In the sheriff's races, the prosecutors, county council, <clears throat> this is where it all matters. School board, and we are succeeding a little bit there. So I think that's where the revolution begins. It would be nice if we focused on governor, um, but certainly local. Another big thing we really need to start and something to consider, how many of you have a conservative publication locally <laughs> that's dedicated to local politics? Okay, exposing the rhino frauds. This is something we desperately need. So if you're in a state like West Virginia or Idaho or Nebraska, South Dakota, it would be great to have the conservative publication that dogs local issues, local politicians. It's something we desperately need. The left has been so good at that. So you know, these are certain ideas I do want to develop in the future. But speaking of the most important issue, okay, so Mitch McConnell told us Ukraine is the most important issue of our time. In other words, Funding neo-Nazis, funding more death and destruction, funding more inflation, and funding more supply chain crises, that is the most important issue. And by the way, don't ever allow Republicans to lie to you about Biden inflation. The inflation was induced <clears throat> by the spendathon and the breakdown of supply chains from COVID fascism, and they signed on to every one of those bills. They crafted them. Mitch McConnell crafted them. Remember, Mitch McConnell was Senate Majority Leader at the time, so don't ever forget that. That will not change. Mitch McConnell hates your guts. But what is the most important issue? Most important issue is biomedical tyranny, genocide. To set the table today, I want... I want to play a clip for you from Dennis Meadows. So far, globally, you are so far above the population and the consumption levels, which can be supported by this planet, that I know in one way or another it's going to come back down. So I don't hope to avoid that. Uh, I hope that it can occur in a, a, a civil way. I, I, and I mean civil in a... In a special way, I, peaceful. Peace doesn't mean uh, that everybody's happy, but it means that conflict isn't solved through violence, through, through force, uh, but rather in other ways. And so uh, that's what I hope for, uh, that we can, I mean, the planet can support something like a billion people maybe two billion, depending on how much liberty and how much material consumption you want to have. If you want more liberty and more consumption, you have to have fewer people. And conversely, you can have more people. I mean, we could even have eight or nine billion, probably, if we have a very strong dictatorship, which is smart. That's, unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. They're always stupid. So, But if you had a smart dictatorship, and a low standard of living, you can have it. But, but we want to have freedom, and we want to have a high sentence. So we're going to have a billion people. And we're now at seven, so we have to get back down. I hope that this can be slow, relatively slow, 
and that it can be done in a way which is relatively equal, uh, you know, so that people share uh, the experience and you don't have a few rich, you know, trying to force everybody else to, to deal with it. So those are my hopes. I mean, these are pretty pessimistic hopes, you know, but I mean, that's... He's a member of the World Economic Forum, Professor Emeritus at Dartmouth. He gave the following interview in 2017. I'm going to play about two minutes of him about depopulation. I want you to take a listen here. So you heard that. He wants to go down from 8 billion to 1 billion people. Now, we could laugh him off as any one of the garden variety nutcases in the world. But I think now that we see the power of the World Economic Forum and the fact that they successfully implemented COVID and to this day are still being successful at it, we better take them seriously. And what I mean by that is this. Folks, do you know that they're about to announce a therapeutic jihad on us? The FDA has five meetings scheduled for the month of June. June 7th is Novavax. June 8th, Moderna in uh, teenagers. June 21st, Moderna in under six, meaning babies and toddlers. June 22nd, Pfizer in under six. And then June 28th is the future framework with other variants. Well, isn't that interesting? If you're meaning to discuss the fact that you need new shots for new variants because the current ones don't work and have negative efficacy, why wouldn't you hold that one first before you inject the old shots for the old variants in babies? Straight up genocide. And I think we know there's never a time they meet and reject (coughs) approval. They absolutely will approve. Name me the number of Republicans on one hand fighting this, opposing this, opposing any of this. Show it to me. Because I sure as heck can't find it. You know, Steve Kirsch pointed out yesterday, there is a 22-fold increase in an athlete's dying in plain sight. From April 2021 to April 2022, there were 633 athlete deaths compared to an annual average of 29. That is utterly insane. Quarter three, quarter quarter four of 2021 is where we saw the biggest spikes, but then it went up again recently in March. Okay? This is a big, big deal. There's also an important scandal out about the trial sites of Pfizer at some point. I might want to get into that. But, folks, this is utterly insane. Okay? They're openly admitting that their things don't work. They need new variant-oriented shots. And yet they're pushing the old ones on children. Put another way... While many European and Asian countries banned Moderna shot or, or some banned it for under 30, we are expanding it to babies. Kids as young as six months old, <clears throat> they could be eight pounds, nine pounds, seven pounds, and they're going to get 25 micrograms of Moderna. Straight up genocide. You know, I'm working on a project, and last night I, I interviewed... Um, someone who treated directly 2,500 patients, indirectly many more. I never had him on the show. 
and the stories he was telling me about the hospital genocide, about what he went through, and he lost it. He had his license suspended. I was listening to that, and I, I, I said to myself, if only my audience could hear what he's saying, and in due course you will, you'll understand my thesis about abortion, why I just can't get excited about the reversal of Roe when we have straight-up genocide of adults, of, of live-born people, taking place in spectacular fashion. I just, I just can't get excited about it. By the way, this is straight-up data. This guy, uh, Sheldon Yakachuk, Y-A-K-I-W-C-H-U-K, <coughs> on the substack, Canada data from weeks April the week of April 10th compared to the week of April 17th. And straight up, <coughs> you could compare the new deaths, okay? The new deaths from COVID. One new death among an unvaccinated person. Five among those with one shot, 63 among those with two, and 160 among those with three. So in other words, 226 out of 227 COVID deaths within one week in Canada, this is straight up data, were among the jabbed, 70% had at least three. Okay, so that's more than their proportion of the population. Something funny is going on here. <clears throat> and our next guest is going to talk about that. Now, first, I just want to note the Global COVID Summit, of which our next guest is a part of, they put out a 10-point declaration. And I just want to say it over here because this should focus our attention. And when you hear it, think to yourself, how many Republicans even agree with it, much less are running on this? One, we declare, and the data confirm, that the COVID-19 experimental genetic therapy injections must end. Meaning not just the mandates, they must end. Two, we declare doctors should not be blocked from providing life-saving medical treatment. Three, we declare that the state of national emergency which facilitates corruption and extends the pandemic should be immediately terminated. Four, we declare medical privacy should never again be violated and all travel and social restrictions must cease. Five, we declare masks are not and have never been effective protection against an airborne respiratory virus in the community setting. Six, we declare funding and research must be established for vaccination damage, death, and suffering. Seven, we declare no opportunity should be denied, including education, career, military service, or medical treatment over unwillingness to take an injection. Eight, we declare the First Amendment violations and medical censorship by government, technology, and media companies should cease and the Bill of Rights be upheld. Nine, we declare that Pfizer, Moderna, BioNTech, Janssen, <clears throat> AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca, and their enablers withheld and willfully omitted safety and effectiveness information from patients and physicians and should be immediately indicted for fraud. 10, we declare government and medical agencies must be held accountable. And we need a list of specific policies obviously built on them, and that's what I'm developing. <clears throat> but name me, name me the Republicans that are running on that. Nope, they're running on Ukraine. If only we could self-identify as Ukrainians. So with all the news of the last few weeks, obviously from the Supreme Court, many different elections, primaries, we've covered a lot of issues, and my stack of COVID stuff has been piling up. I know a lot of you are emailing questions, and I've meant to get to them, and I figured I'll do it with someone a little bit more competent 
than myself. As I mentioned, uh, Dr. Lynn Finn is involved with the Global COVID Summit. They just put out uh, this declaration. And by the way, notice the Biden administration is using that term COVID Summit um, in order to confuse people because they know this is being very successful. But Dr. Finn is no stranger to this program. Um, she has a background in uh, infectious diseases and tropical medicine. She is also a drug inventor um, and part of this whole group of freedom doctors dealing with what I believe is, again, the most important issues of our time. Dr. Finn, welcome back to Blaze Media once again. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for having me. So we just went through some of the principles um, and and we read them and noted that very few candidates from either party are running on them or even recognize those principles. Could you just briefly discuss where you want to head with the Global COVID Summit? What is your goal? Um, is it more academic or do you guys want to get involved po- politically? Well, I'll tell you, we started off about a year and a half ago as Global COVID Summit. And what we've been doing over this past year and a half is we've been traveling to different cities throughout the country and holding um, lectures and discussions for the public to try to reach as many regular people as we can and, and kind of bridge that gap between academia, science, and, and layman public so they're well-informed to make proper decisions because the hallmark of what we're doing is based on the fact that we believe that informed consent has not been provided. And uh, we formed this group and have been very adamant about certain things. This, this particular declaration is our fourth uh, revision. We started off uh, with basic principles regarding medical freedom. And we expanded into three definite no-goes, which was vaccines in children, COVID vaccines in children, because there was never a, a benefit flag or statistic to justify uh, the risk. Um, we also were big proponents of natural immunity. And it's, it had been ignored from day one, natural immunity, and they've even pushed to vaccinate those COVID-recovered patients, which made no sense to us. And um, finally, our third one had to do with uh, freedom. And we got 17,000 PhDs and MDs to sign on our declaration, and they've been verified by a a third party. So it's not like, you know, an 18 year old pot grower and, uh, you know, the same ones from Spotify. This is the literally verified professionals throughout that have maybe been quiet or intimidated or coerced. And they've signed on to our, our global COVID summit declaration And this fourth iteration has 10 key points um, of basically pandemic response failures and what we cannot allow to happen going forward um, that we allowed and sat back uh, for for this time. And 
when we <clears throat> created our group, uh, it looked like the White House decided to call their first pandemic response virtual meeting Global COVID Summit, which we thought was interesting because when you would Google our organization, that was the first thing that came up and it looked a little shady to me. But we heard recently that they were going to hold another one on the 12th. It it started off as the 11th and and now I'm seeing on Google, they change it to the 12th, but it's going to be a, a kind of an update as to where we are. Uh, I think personally, it's really a preamble into midterms and more, you know, winter of death and destruction as <laughs> talk, uh, fear porn as was uh, thrown out last year. So um, this will occur and we anticipated the topics that will be discussed. And in doing so, we decided to hold a press conference to preemptively educate people as to the truth. So when they hear it from the White House, they'll understand it for what it is. It's just baseless talk without scientific support. And um, hopefully they'll be more informed going into their summit and won't necessarily yep. fall for some of the tactics. And, and I want people to make sure they could find it because it's very hard to find on, on Google. GlobalCovidSummit.org um, is where, where this is. And you guys could watch um, all that information, tremendous amount of information from a, about a dozen or so doctors. And I, I'd say it's very important that we start getting specific over time how to reaffirm these principles because, you know, the Democrats seem to be, you know, we're okay with downright mandating. Republicans are like, well, we don't like mandates. But it's not good enough. You know, Leo Alexander, he was the Viennese-born American physician um, that was a little bit uh, uh, tangentially a part of the doctor's trial at Nuremberg. But he gave over a memorandum to Medford uh, uh, Telford Taylor, who was the chief prosecutor in that doctor's trial. This was April 1947. And to me, this still rings true today, and we just need to reaffirm this. The legally valid voluntary consent of the experimental subjects is essential. This requires specifically the absence of duress, sufficient disclosure on the part of the experimenter, and sufficient understanding on the part of their experimental subject of the exact nature and consequences of the experiment for which he volunteers to permit an enlightened consent. I think that's a very important memorandum, right, Dr. Finn, because it's not just coercion. I mean, that was obvious. The Nazis, they locked people up in a concentration camp, and it was 100% coercion. But they were trying to establish a principle broader than simply strapping someone down. Absolutely, absolutely. And and even in our press conference, uh, if I recall, Dr. Cole had spelled out one of the – one part of the 10 of the Nuremberg Code um, – and it spoke to that specific idea of, of in, what true informed consent is and how it's, it's imperative to have informed consent. Even the Declaration of Helsinki, uh, which the world uh, abides by in scientific research, uh, it specifically states that all subjects must be informed and signed informed consent. 
And in doing so, even in clinical trials, we have to spell out informed consent in such a way that an eighth grader can read it and understand it. Um, The complete lay is not bowled over with terminology and and circular thought, that it's very clear what they're getting into. And I don't believe, and none of us believe, of the 17,000-plus of the doctors and scientists that signed our declaration, they do not believe that this uh, in information was conveyed and the risks were properly conveyed to the public before they lined up um, for mass vac- vaccination during a pandemic. And this is going to keep going. That's my concern. Even if we successfully got rid of every future mandate, which certainly we have, and we still have the military, healthcare workers, many blue states. Um, but even if we did, I'm not hearing any significant elected officials say, wait a minute, they're coming on, out with 15 more mRNAs. At a minimum, they're going to promote the heck out of it with government funding, advertising, every medical system. That, that's not informed consent if there are indeed problems, which there likely are, inflammatory problems, all sorts of issues. We need to right that ship right now. So this is very important work. I want to get to some some of those specific uh, surprises. Well, it is yeah. very important. I'm going to interrupt you because sure. this, this <clears throat> silence is deafening. Um, our elected officials on both sides yes. of the camp are eerily silent about what has taken place over the past two years. We cannot, cannot let it happen again. We have to make it very clear to those running and those in office that we will not allow this to happen. And they have to stand up and it has to be part of their platform. If it is not a major part of their platform, we have to get them out. A a lot of people are noting this, and I don't want to get too specific into names, but... Um, you look at the Pennsylvania uh, Senate race and, you know, we're, I, I've trained people to look at websites and I said, look, you know, if they're running on the same old issues as if this is somehow, you know, 1995 or something, you know, this is not mm-hmm. okay. So Kathy Barnett, you know, who's coming up in the polls there, she does have a section on medical freedom. So at least to speak the language, I mean, this is something that we have to uh, create as a baseline. Um now, Dr. Finn, as we go through all the different discoveries and surprises from this shot, we're seeing all these mystery ailments. And I brought this up a couple of weeks ago, but in an incomplete way. Uh, this sudden hepatitis in very young kids in America, in Europe, um, the CDC says they're looking into it. It seems to be connected to some extent or correlated with a lot of the kids having some form of adenovirus. And at the time, I noted uh, there's a substantial body of evidence um, dating back to the literature from the animal trials to the way we understand the pathophysiology of the shots to theirs to some case studies that this absolutely could cause the shots that is could cause uh, liver inflammation, and you do have autoimmune hepatitis. But on the other hand, the kicker here is that most of the the people getting it are young kids who couldn't have been vaccinated yet. So the question That's is, correct. how could the vaccine play a role given the population it's targeting, and why is it only targeting the very young? Well, I'll tell you. Um 
this has been my early hypothesis. And as time progresses, it's surely turning out to be the likely situation. Uh, initially, of course, we all have uh, kind of observed some autoimmune hepatitis with, with those receiving the mRNA shots. We have seen cases of hepatitis and, and uh, liver transplant and such. Um, that is no doubt a possibility. However, as you pointed out, many of these children are far too young to be vaccinated with mRNA. It is not mandated or even uh, approved in some of those cases. And so the next thing we looked at was those breastfed from the vaccinated, right? And you have a population of kids that were breastfed from 100% vaxxed uh, mothers. And you think, okay, well, maybe it's from spike uh, transfer in breast milk. It could be LMPs or messenger RNA in the breast milk. But then you have that demographic that is older, but still very young. If you're looking at the two to five demographic, um, you're not seeing, you know, three, four or five year olds being breastfed in, in the UK, yeah. especially that it's exceedingly a low number of those breastfed in the UK, which was kind of surprising. But that said, there was no answer for that. Well, then we found out about the F41 adenovirus showing up in some of these and it just started making me want to dig and find out what exactly is going on. And I'll tell you what I think it is. Um, in reading, there, there's a paper in, in BMJ, a gut paper, um, that kind of coincided pretty well with the UK government publishing service, um, all of their data regarding these children. And it dawned on me that in this publication of the promise and potential hazards of adenovirus gene therapy, I believe we're looking at the wrong vaccines and trying to point to this um, phenomenon going on. I think we're, what we should be looking at are the adenovirus uh, DNA vaccines. Mm. Um, let, let's just say the, the, the CH adenovirus OX1 vaccines. There are two possibilities here regarding those vaccines. And we got to remember AstraZeneca was pretty prevalent in the UK, which was where this first uh, kind of pocket occurred. And Johnson & Johnson is prevalent in the United States, which, again, is another possibility. So we have, you know, the research using these attenuated adenoviruses that went on to develop these vaccines, right? And then we had the original CHADOX1 vaccine that was administered to a mass population. And in these vaccines, one of the main concerns was first, there was a, an ability of replication of these defect, of defective adenoviruses. And the replication of these defective adenoviruses from the vaccine could induce certain chemokines and cytokines like interleukin-6, interleukin-8, tumor, tumor necrosis factor alpha, 
Well, what these cytokines do is they attack the liver in the adenovirus naive. Now, most of us have adenoviruses circulating in our bodies. Most of us have had common colds. Most of us have seen these adenoviruses before. Well, what we think is occurring is a sort of, uh, there's something called a, an E1 gene, okay, on, on these vaccine virus packages, right? And we think that perhaps that E1 gene, either the entire gene or part of it, is, is basically replaced by one of your circulated or circulating adenoviruses that many of us have. And then what, what do you get? You get a replicative adenovirus that has a spike protein. You're basically your in vivo human passage gain of function GMO. You're making a new adenovirus that can be spread like any other infection, not a part. It's, it's literally a whole virus that can replicate and be spread. Now, understand in the two, two-year-old to five-year-old and even younger, they're naive to all adenoviruses. So since they have not been exposed to an adenovirus that would just give them the common cold, this is their first exposure, and it's a doozy. So when your first exposure is a super-powered adenovirus with a spike protein chimera, what's going to happen? Those cytokines, IL-6, uh, IL-8, TNF-alpha, those are activated. What does that do? Attack the liver. They're naive. It's quite a blast for uh, a young patient and a naive patient to adenoviruses. This is what I believe is happening. And I do believe that they know this in the U.S. I do believe they know it. They're not sharing it. And is this why they suddenly dunked on J&J and said it was because of the blood clotting, which is just as pervasive in in Moderna and Pfizer? Yes, that's what my suspicion is. I mean, let's be real. The blood clotting issue is not real. I mean, it's not unknown. We've known about this since the rollout. We've seen clotting. And if you go to bears and you pull these thrombosis cases up, they're equally diverse among all spike-based vaccine populations. So why? Why would they just pick on Johnson & Johnson? You know, you can make the argument that Johnson & Johnson is the odd man out. It's not mRNA, and it seems like they want mRNA in every arm. There's no doubt about that. Um, That would be a good argument as to why they dunked on them all of a sudden. But they can't defend that when we can statistically show it's occurring across the board. They can't defend it. There's something else going on as to why they need to pull this and and make it, uh, take it off of guidance, take it off of the recommended list, and and basically uh, put a nail in their coffin. And I do believe they know something. I believe AstraZeneca. Uh, I believe Johnson and Johnson. I believe all of these adenovirus vector vaccines are going to be quashed. So you're and saying while we they, all focused on the novel nature of mRNA, we fo- forgot the adenovirus platform and the novel nature of that and potential problems. And just to summarize, if I'm getting this correctly, you're saying the reason why 
it's only in the young children um, and not in the parents in those households who potentially had AstraZeneca or J&J is because they're obviously not going to get damaged by any form of adenovirus. They've had many, their uh, humoral um, immune system has had time to really develop against that. It's these young children. <clears throat> so it's a mixture of the bubble boy phenomenon from the lockdown with the adenovector viral vaccines. Absolutely. Absolutely. These kids have not been exposed to intestinal adenoviruses before. So all of a sudden, they're hit with this crazy chimeric supercharged uh, adenovirus with a, with a spike protein. And those cytokines are going to be activated. It's going to cause a cascade of events that basically attacks the liver. Now, I think we need to wait a little longer, but it will be interesting to watch Israel as always the canary in the coal mine here. And they, we know, was 100% Pfizer because Pfizer basically bought them. So, Correct. you know, and typically you hear of all these ailments first there. And we really, to my knowledge, have not have seen not. any case studies there of hepatitis. So that is definitely something to watch. Very, very important uh, uh, theory, putting together a lot of uh, different factors here. Um, I want to keep it going on, you know, now that we're kind of differentiating between different vaccines, Novavax. A lot of people are asking me about it. And, um, you know, hey, should I hold out for it if I'm being mandated to get it? Uh, you know, you have June 7th. June 7th, the advisory committee for the FDA is going to meet, likely give approval to it. Um, they've held it for a while, but now it looks like they're going to, you know, do p push a, push the button on it. Um, my theory is that they know there's this perception that this might be a little bit cleaner of a vaccine, at least the perception. So they feel maybe we'll let this out to start to um, chink a little bit of that armor from that one sixth of the population. A poll just came out. One sixth seemed to be impervious politically to wanting to get it. Um, that's why I think they're doing it. But could you t talk a little bit about the nature of this vaccine and is there any reason we should be any less suspicious of it than the others you know i've had this question a lot especially early on um we look at the entire landscape i mean what i find just from a 800 foot viewpoint down i find interesting that after all these years we're talking 20 years uh, without any kind of SARS vaccine that was successful in any way. Uh, I find it odd. We have like 17 different vaccines <laughs> within, you know, a, a one year period, which is insane. Um, but that alone is suspect. Uh, then you go on to what their target is when developing these vaccines for SARS, and it seems that they choose the most mutagenic, uh, ever-changing, and pathogenic in and of itself portion of this virus. <laughs> We're not talking about nucleocapsid base, which is pretty stable, robust. Yep. Um, We're talking about the spike protein. And in my opinion, that was an epic fail. And anything that is targeting spike protein for vaccination for this disease has been, and in my opinion, will be 
a detriment. Now, regarding Novavax, people think, okay, well, this is a traditional vaccine. You're putting in antigen. You're eliciting a, a, a immune response to it, and boom, you're immune. But that that's not quite what we're dealing with here with Novavax. Um, they basically <laughs> take a, a virus that normally infects different type of insects, uh, arthropods, invertebrates, okay, called a baculovirus. And they've genetically altered it to carry and cause production in arthropods of the spike protein. So they infect these insects, in this case, moths or moth cells with this baclovirus that has been, you know, altered, its DNA has been altered, and it starts producing spike protein from SARS-CoV-2, okay? So they think, okay, well, it's just the antigen, but it's the method by which they got it. And now they're taking that spike protein with parts, pieces, parts of moths and other very immunogenic pieces of, of particulate, and they're injecting it in, into humans. So you not only have the pathogenic spike causing the immune response, but you're also getting a bunch of other garbage from arthropods that you're injecting. And then they add an adjuvant uh, derived from a tree called saponin, and it's a what soap bark tree or something. And that's supposed to increase your your immune response to it, and then boom, you're uh, you're immune. Now let's go back to the first fact. The first fact is which spike have they engineered in the baclovirus? Well, the original Wuhan spike, right? Now the original Wuhan spike, for all practical purposes, is extinct. Yep, it's extinct. Why? Why would you line up and get an extinct pathogen injected to, to elicit an, a, an immune response to it when it will do nothing? Now, this spike contains GP120, which is very questionable, questionable protein, envelope protein, that is also present in HIV. Why are we lining up for this? Jeez. For what purpose? So we're injecting GP120 in the full spike of an extinct spike protein from the original Wuhan strain. And we're supposed to be hip hip hooraying and lining up. I, I, I'm, so you're saying I'm at, a at a minimum, it, at the end of the day, it involves the spike. It might not be as uncontrolled throughout the body as the other ones are, but you are introducing spike at the end of the day, it's going to be mutagenic that we've already learned that if you just target the spike, you're asking for, uh, um, you know, viral immune escape. Um, at a minimum, we have a bunch of new materials and new, uh, concepts introduced in this. And we've seen how well that has worked out. And like you said, with the adenovirus vector, uh, shots, possibly we might have some novel issues with those as well. You know, we think, oh, as long as it's not mRNA, we get too focused on that. No, 
the problem is anytime you have novel platforms that were rushing and cutting every corner, they're all problems. And and by the way, I mean, from what I can see reading the trials, all of them in the placebo groups, um, there were no hospitalizations. So it's one it's kind of like the mRNA yeah, shots. Yeah, what are we testing here? Where is I'm sorry, but when we determine whether it's a vaccine or a therapeutic, which ones to use in which patients? The first question has to be, what is our benefit and what is our risk? It's as basic as they come. When you cannot show a marked benefit to carry the risk involved in a new platform that is targeting a pathogenic portion of of a protein, then what is the point? We got to understand we're testing in mild cases because really that is all that we're finding for the most part. That, that's all that we can randomize at this point. So why are we lining up for a vaccine against an extinct portion of a virus? <laughs> and there aren't enough severe cases to even be able to calculate a statistical benefit. Yeah, it's, all it's of these truly unbelievable. To be part of informed consent, they should all be part of informed consent. That it's a new platform. That it's there. It is genetic therapy. This is gene therapy. You may think, oh, well, I'm just injecting an antigen, and that's very true. But it's genetically derived. It's not just pulling purified proteinaceous spike from the virus itself in its native form. It is a genetic GMO modified process. And there are unintended consequences with all of them. And that needs to be conveyed to the subjects and the recipients of these vaccines. And it is not. It is not. And again, going full circle that's why we are so adamant at Global COVID Summit to put out these declarations because this cannot be tolerated ever. Now, one of the things I think you guys need to do is as we learn more information on how these vaccines behave, we do need to go back and see how far does the rot go? I mean, how far have we deviated from science? And I want to get your comment on one of the items that's been in the news recently is vaccine-derived polio on the rise. Uh, NPR had an article on this recently um, that basically they claim that in Africa rates are going up because they're immunized with live virus uh, vaccines. And somehow that is causing increased polio. And, of course, their solution is now to create a new vaccine (laughs) for the vaccine-derived polio. And the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is is all over it. And they've committed. They're always there for us. They're (laughs) always just right there. So could you could, could you could you explain the science behind that? And do we have to be concerned with some of the live virus vaccines that are on the market? Look, just like with um, the viral vector vaccines, just like we discussed, there are imperfections 
that occur. There are mistakes that occur in all of these viruses that allow for the possibility of deattenuation. So just because you've attenuated a live virus does not mean it will never replicate and you Mm -hmm. have no chance of it becoming an active pathogen because that's not how nature works. Yes. Nature is not perfect. There are so many parameters that are, you know, unforeseen that can cause a flaw and, and, and that you need deattenuation of only a few to allow for replication of a live virus and then spread to occur. And, you know, but thank God they're coming up with another vaccine to combat the flaws in the original vaccine. And if there's a problem with the other vaccine, then maybe a third yes. one can come help us. And this all but gets to the informed consent. Ending. The informed consent you're talking about, because I will tell you, until very recently in my life, it was really the flu shot that kind of got me thinking like, hey, like, well, what's going on here? There's too many of these shots Uh going on. But before that, for most of my life, and I would venture to say 90 to 95 percent of people are like this. In my mind, the word vaccine was synonymous with the word cure. It was the most mellifluous uh, term in the English language. Um, it's right. like it's like taking a vitamin D pill, and that's the message that has been evinced to the public. And I think what we're saying here is that, you know, it's not just these shots. These shots are particularly problematic. The ones we're talking about and are almost biblical in proportion what they're what they cause in the realm of possibilities. But what what I have learned going from zero to at least some knowledge on this is that, like you said, there's so many boxes you need to check, or the immune system is very complicated, and it's not as simple as, oh, you dangle something in front of it, and it you know, creates an antibody, and now you're immune. Like that, That's how everyone thinks. That's how I thought. It's so much more complicated than that. So even if, in theory, you are very, very supportive of the pursuit of vaccines, you do have to recognize that it is not so simple to achieve, and people need to understand the parameters of that. Well, you know, in in bacterium and certain bacteria or certain uh, more complicated viruses that are a bit more stable, it's just a matter of taking an antigenic portion and introducing it to the to the host so that, that they recognize it. And when they're faced with it out in nature, it's not the first time, like with the adenovirus in the, in the children, it's completely a naive introduction there. And that can cause problems. So mm-hmm. the whole idea behind the, the early vaccines was, look, here's a portion. Now, when we see you, you'll recognize this. It won't be so detrimental. You won't go into overload. And that, that was the whole idea behind them. But now we've gotten really, really ridiculous. Um, most of these viruses, our bodies are fully equipped to handle. They're fully equipped to handle with nothing more than supportive care. And like you had mentioned, you know, the vitamin D, the, the taking care of your immune system, cutting your sugars, taking care of your body, good health. We should be able to handle most of these vir- these viruses. There's no real need for all of these vaccines, because as we're finding out with all of these types of vaccines, not with the more stable ones, but from from influenza to now SARS-CoV-2, polio, these kinds of vaccines we're finding 
more unintended consequences. We're finding problems. And, and in doing so, we may be perpetuating a lifetime of mutations and repeat business. I mean, let's face it. We're getting how many flu vaccines now, how many, and yeah. usually to last year's strain, <laughs> which is pointless. I think the most recent um, data shows that the flu vaccine is 16% effective, and, and that's yeah. being kind. We know how they play But, but we have some games. pretty prestigious publications that have indicated in past years there was negative efficacy, that we've seen this right. concept uh, show its rear its ugly head before. And again, it's something that I never thought about in my life, but now it's, it's microbiology 101. It's obvious if you think about it, and it's, it's pretty basic. hard. To, it's very basic. It's basic. How could a yeah. vaccinologist not know this? They know it. They know <laughs> it. Look what happened recently now. Now the head of the vaccine department over <laughs> at the FDA came out and preemptively said, yes, we know that the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine is below the 50% threshold for efficacy in children, which is usually required for an EUA to be established. We know it is. We're going to push it through anyway. <laughs> He's basically saying that we're going to break our own rules right now. Just a heads up, it's going to happen. Nothing we matters anymore. We know that you're all going to come out and prove that it's not efficacious. But we're still going to allow it for the fake emergency it is in children to be an emergency use therapeutic. It, it's truly unbelievable. I, I only have three minutes left here. I want to get to the final thing, Paxlovid. So it, it sure seems like everything they do achieves the opposite from <laughs> lockdowns to masks to the shots, to remdesivir, uh, everything is negative effective. So they came I with Paxlovid, and that was the greatest thing ever concocted, except now we're finding was. some you funny things I, about it. Well, you and I discussed this early on with Molnupiravir and Paxlovid. I know, but did you, did you predict coming. this, that it could have a second? Could you explain real quickly what's going on with this second round that people take Paxlovid, and then it seems to come back a week later and then just linger for a while? You know, way back with AZT and all of the other nucleoside analogs and protease inhibitors that came out, it, it was a common thing to see something created and a chronic condition persist. It was common because these drugs do not discern healthy cells in the human body human DNA chains and replication from a viral RNA or DNA chain. And since, I mean, the hope of it is to take it and knock down the virus just enough to where you can rebound, right? Your body, the cells that it attacked, that were attacked by this drug can rebound and take over and you'll get ahead of the game. That's the whole point of using these kinds of drugs. It's a lot like chemotherapy. But guess what happens? Oftentimes, not just your cells rebound, but the cells of the virus you're trying to hurt rebound. And when this rebound occurs, it rebounds in a big way. It's like a, one of those Super Bowls. Mm. And you get the combination 
of immune suppression, which these drugs do do do. And you get the combination of first, you get a spike in your, your T cells. That happens when you take poison. I, I don't think people realize that. They think, oh, it, it stimulates your immune system, these drugs. Well, when you take poison, if you, if you took strychnine or if you took, you know, arsenic, you're going to get a big spike, a big jump in CD4, CD8. Well, that's what's happening here. It's a poison. I mean, when the term chain terminator, terminator, terminates, ends, kills, <laughs> that, that is exactly, they're telling you what it does, all right? We need proteases in our bodies. We have DNA. We take these drugs and it puts us at, it puts us at a disadvantage. Yes, you're trying to put the, the virus at a disadvantage too. I get it. Well, they, they combined it with an HIV drug, ritonavir, which does the same thing. Now you've got this double duty that you're putting in otherwise healthy individuals. Yeah. And now we're giving it to people with Omicron. I mean, it's like bringing a backhoe to your backyard <laughs> to pull a dandelion weed, right? Like this one thing, if it's Delta or something, you, you know, we, we were seeing people die left and right. But all these people announcing they have it, they essentially have a cold. and But they're you, getting Paxlovid. They're getting HIV meds that are chain terminators and protease inhibitors. So what's going to happen is you're going to not only get a rebound of your healthy cells that it destroyed, but the virus is going to adapt and get a rebound, and you're going to create the perfect storm of immune suppression with rebound, and that creates a chronic, what I call, a acute, post-acute COVID syndrome or a smoldering. It's almost like a smoldering. We're seeing these patients that have been multiply vaxxed, right? They're immune suppressed at this point, because it is dose dependent with each one of these boosts, I'm seeing it just get worse and worse. So we have a dose dependent response to the to immune suppression from the vaccines. And then you're going to knock them with Paxlovid. You're creating this perpetual cycle of infection, expression, and chronic disease. We're finding antigen in, in CD8 cells, we're finding SARS-CoV-2 antigen in CD8 cells of these patients, just like they did with HIV and CD4 cells. We're getting a smolder. We're creating a chronic disease. And now the FDA and the CDC is coming out and saying, oh, well, you can put them on another regimen of Paxlovid. <laughs> so now they're creating this chronic therapeutic administration to a chronic smoldering disease and it's not going to get better so in other words what you're saying is it's nearly impossible to ever get rid of this virus between the shots and the therapeutics we're using it is basically playing a game of super ball with microbiology beyond belief i mean there's no way this is done by accident that every last thing they did maximized the ability. You know, I, I wake up every morning and I go, this can't be, this can't be incidental, unforeseen, none of this. If I were to choose everything I would do during a pandemic and then choose 
the complete 180 opposite of those things. That's, that's what we've done from the start. From the very beginning, every aspect from therapeutics to measures to policy to hanging plexiglass in between, you know, checkout registers at the store, which is insanity, to putting, you know, a, a mask uh, in, in the yep. community. All of these measures are the opposite to what I would do. Closing schools. Yep healthy children, not cycling this thing through. What is the difference between SARS-1 and SARS-2? SARS-1 went away. What is the difference between the measures? We didn't take these measures and we did not, did not. And we have a control group. We have continental Africa, which unlike with the uh, live uh, polio vaccine, where they were always the guinea pigs, uh, you know, courtesy of Bill Gates and these guys and Fauci. This is the one time the Western countries actually were the lab rats. And I think we're seeing those results. So they we deserved a, a reprieve for once. And, and it, they sure stand out like a sore thumb uh, relative they to the do. rest of the world. Um, we are about out of time. Dr. Finn, as always, we left a lot on the table, but we've learned a lot. Um, keep us updated on the Global COVID Summit. And again, globalcovidsummit.org is the website uh, for you guys to get involved. Uh, Dr. Finn, keep on fighting for us, all right? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Daniel. God bless. Wow, folks. I mean, you tell me where you're going to get that information elsewhere. I mean, we have the best guests on um, very seasoned infectious disease doctor that actually uses her brain, not virtue signaling, unlike the other people in that field. And I mean, again, you look at everything going on, and this is when I woke up midway through the pandemic and realized it wasn't just that they're trying to screw with us. It's more than that. It's a pre-planned genocide because there's no way you could possibly do everything you can at every juncture that would make this thing perpetuate itself. It doesn't make sense. Because even I thought, okay, so fine, once eventually, because the vaccine doesn't work precisely because it doesn't work, then everyone's going to get it anyway, fine, then we'll be done with it. But we're never done with it. Now, it's hard to tell how much is the um, viral mean escape from the therapeutics and the shots and everything, gene therapy, and how much of it is are they introducing new stuff. Because we still don't know where Omicron came from. It really wasn't natural. Who knows? Who knows? There's still a lot we don't know. But broadly bringing this back to Republicans who think Ukraine is the most important issue, now you can appreciate, dude, this is the health of an entire world. They said they want to reduce the global population from 8 billion to 1 billion. And let me tell you, there might only be one continent standing after this. So they seem to be on their way to achieving that goal. This is nothing short of the right to life in its most literal sense. We will continue to be on top of this. Send this show to everyone you know. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.